Hello, and welcome to the first ever episode of Something Strange, Someone Wicked. I am really excited to be doing this episode. It is about a really strange case, in my opinion. Um, ever since I started reading about it and researching into it, I could not stop thinking about it. And it's so frustrating because it leaves you wondering what the hell actually happened to these people. So today I am going to be talking about the Day at Love Pass incident. I am going to mispronounce lots of things during this episode, so I want to apologize ahead of time, but bear with me, I will do my best. Also, um, some of the stuff that I'll be talking about is disturbing, um, so listener discretion is advised. Day at Love Pass is a wilderness area in the Soviet Union. It is very unforgiving and dangerous, and you'll understand why I said dangerous after you listen to what happened. So let's just get into it. Um, Igor Dayatlov was a radio engineering student and also an experienced hiker. In 1959, he assembled a group of 10 people, including himself, to hike through Dayatlov Pass to the Otorton Mountain. Each member of the group, which consisted of eight men and two women, were experienced grade two hikers, and they all had ski tour experience. So this was nothing new to them. They, they did this kind of thing all the time. They were all friends, they all knew each other, and they were excited to take this trip because upon their return, they would receive their grade three certification, which at the time was the highest cert certification available in the Soviet Union. So I want to start off by telling you um, the names of each of the group members, their age, and whether they were male or female. And this is where I'm going to mispronounce these names. So I'll do my best. Igor Dayatlov, 23, male. He was the leader, the one who assembled the group and planned the trip. Yuri Doroshenko was male, and he was 21 years old. Ludmilla Dubanina was female, and she was 20 years old. Yuri Krinvaneshenko, he was male, and he was 23. Alexander Kolovatov, male, 24. Zenaida Komogorova, female, 22. Rustam Slobodin, male, 23. Nikolai Brignols, male, 23. Simeon Zolotaryov was male, and he was 38. And Yuri Yudin was male, and he was 21. On January 27th of 1959, the group began their trek towards Otorton Mountain from Vizhai. Vizhai was the last inhabited settlement to the north before this span of wilderness that they were going into. 
On January 28th, Yuri Yudin, who suffered from several health ailments, decided to go back and was unable to continue the hike. He was sick. So the remaining nine continued on towards O'Torton Mountain. Um, Diaries and cameras were found around their last campsite, and that made it possible for them to track the route that they were taking leading up to the day preceding the incident. On January 31st, they arrived at the edge of a highland area and began to prepare for climbing. At this highland area, they left um, food and equipment that they would come back to and use for the hike back. The following day on February 1st, they began the hike through the pass. At some point, the weather worsened and a snowstorm started and there was decreased visibility and the group lost their direction and started to deviate west up towards the top of Kolat Siakol. And that's a mountain in the northern Ural region of Russia. I know I pronounced that wrong. But what's creepy about the name of that mountain is when translated, it means dead mountain. And that's creepy because this is the last place they stopped before they all died. So they realized their mistake and that they were off, off track from their original route. And so they decided to set up camp right there on the mountain slope. Even though less than a mile downhill was a forested area where they could have set up camp, which would have probably protected them more from the weather. When they asked Yuri why they would set up camp on the slope, he, he said that it might be because they didn't want to lose altitude or it may have been that Igor wanted to practice camping on a slope. And this is where things get really strange. So the group was expected to arrive back at Vizhai on or around February 12th. The 12th passed with no sign of the group, which didn't really cause immediate alarm to anyone because delays are expected when you're hiking in the wilderness like that. But on February 20th, when there still was no sign of the group, their relatives started to worry and they asked for a rescue operation. So the first group of searchers consisted of volunteers, which later they were joined by police and army. And the police and army used helicopters and planes in the search. On February 26th, research or searchers, not researchers, searchers found the group's abandoned and badly damaged tent. Um, the, the campsite baffled all of the searchers. The tent was half torn down and half covered with snow. It was empty, of course, and all of the group's belongings were still there. They had left behind clothes and even shoes. 
They also noticed that the tent had been cut open from the inside. So something happened that caused these experienced hikers to cut their tent open and leave in the middle of the night with temperatures around negative 30 degrees without proper clothing and equipment. And that's strange. These people know that you can't be running around at night in negative 30 degree temperatures without shoes on. So something, in my opinion, scared them. Around the campsite were sets of foot footprints. And they could tell by the footprints that some of the people were wearing socks. Some had on a single shoe and some of them were barefoot. So the searchers followed the footprints and it led them to the edge of the woods, less than a mile northeast of the tent. And this is where they found the remains of a fire underneath a cedar tree. And this is where they also found the remains of the first two bodies, which were that of Yuri Krinvonishenko and Yuri Darashenko. Yuri Krivonshenko was found frozen without his clothes. He was not naked. He had clothes on. He had underwear, I think, and a, a flannel shirt and one sock. His right foot was bare and on his left foot was a torn sock. They found the matching sock next to the fire half burnt. On the back of his hands, the skin was torn. Blood was found between his fingers. The index finger was also torn. The skin of his left shin was torn and covered in blood. He had burns on his left leg and left foot. And some of the skin from his own hand was found between his teeth. Investigators suggested that maybe his hand froze or went numb, and so he was biting it to try and wake it up. That was their theory on the skin being in between his teeth. They concluded that he died of hypothermia. Yuri Doroshenka was also found frozen right next to the other Yuri without his clothes as well. He had on underwear and a shirt. He had two pairs of socks on each foot, but no shoes. His ear, lip, and nose were covered in blood. On his left hand, his middle finger was bloody. He had burns on his right foot and burns on his right temple. And there was gray liquid coming out of his open mouth, which they said, investigators and the autopsy said it was probably caused by pulmonary edema, which is a condition caused by excess fluid in the lungs. This can stem from heart problems, pneumonia, a chest trauma, or exposure to high elevations. Investigators believe that Krivonshenko and Darashenka froze to death and their clothes were removed by their friends. So they, they froze. They were both 
Um, the cause of death on both of them was hypothermia, and their friends, who were still alive, took their clothes to stay warm. Next to be found by the searchers was Igor Dayatlov. He was 300 meters from the cedar. He was face up in the snow. His hands were clenched into fists, and they were folded in front of his chest. He was better dressed than the first two, but he also had no shoes. He had minor abrasions on his forehead, upper eyelids, and left cheek. Dried blood was found on his lips. He had a bunch of small scratches on his right forearm and palm, and the joints on his right hand were bruised, which is a common injury in hand-to-hand -hand fights. So keep that in mind. They said his cause of death was also hypothermia. Zenaida Komogorova was found next. She was 630 meters from the cedar tree. She was also dressed better than the bodies under the cedar tree, but was also found with no shoes. She had abrasions on her upper eyelids, along with numerous abrasions on her left cheek. There were abrasions found on the backs of both of her hands, and she was missing skin on the back of her right hand. She had the least amount of injuries out of everyone. Her cause of death was also hypothermia. Next to be found was Restum Slobodin. He was found 480 meters from the cedar tree. He was face down in the snow and was better dressed than the previously found hikers. He was found with a skull fracture, traces of blood discharge from his nose. He was found with the same bruising on his, knuck on his knuckles and, and joints of his hand as what was found on Igor common with hand-to-hand -hand fights. So a little weird that they both had that bruising and I don't really want to get into theories this early, but one of the theories that people brought up was that a fight started and they all just fought each other, which is kind of ridiculous. But when you, when you hear of the, the bruising, I don't know. It really doesn't make sense. He also died of hypothermia. They believe that the skull fracture was caused by him falling repeatedly and hitting his head each time he fell. So they kept searching and efforts continued, but it would be two months before they found the remaining four hikers. On May 5th, they discovered the Dayatlov Pass Den. And this is what they call it. The Dayatlov Pass Den was a ravine that the remaining four, they think, the remaining four dug in the ground to stay out of the elements. There were cedar branches laid down in clothes, which would have prevented skin-to-snow contact. And they believe that in order to survive, they dug this den. It was only 70 meters from the cedar tree. And in the den, they found Ludmilla Dubanina. She was found on her knees with her chest and face pressed against the rock wall. She had four broken ribs on her right side and six broken ribs on her left side. She was found without her eyeballs and her tongue was missing. 
I haven't really heard any theories about her, except that possibly animals caused her, ate her eyeballs and tongue after she passed. I, I don't know. I didn't see much about that. I just saw that she was also found with blood, coagulated blood in her stomach, which would mean that she was still alive when her tongue was taken out. Her upper lip was missing, exposing her teeth and upper jaw. She had been, what they could, what they thought due to her injuries was, was that she had been crushed with immense force comparable to being hit by a car. Also, some of the clothes that they found on her were radioactive. So next to be found in the den was Semyon Zolotaryov. His eyeballs were also missing. He had an open wound on the right side of his skull with exposed bone. He had five broken ribs on his right side. He was found fully dressed and with a camera around his neck, which is weird. And when they asked Yudin, the one who didn't continue the hike, about the camera, he said he didn't know anything about it. He thought they had only brought four cameras. And then all of a sudden, this fifth camera turned up. They could not look at the film because it was water damage. So the question remains, why, if you're in a panic to get out of this tent, would you think to grab a camera instead of clothing and equipment. It really makes no sense. He was also found holding a pen and notepad, but he died before writing anything down. Zola Taryav and Dubanina had interesting an interesting pattern of injuries. It was said that both of their injuries had to be the result of a large force. And that the wounds appeared in such a way without damaging soft tissue. And that was similar to the type of trauma that results from the shockwave of a, of a bomb. Really weird. So the next body in the den was Alexander Kolovartov. He was well insulated, but he had no hat or shoes. He did have a ski jacket on, which was burnt on the left sleeve. And the socks he had on showed signs of fire damage as well. Some of his clothes were also found to be radioactive. He was found with his eyebrows missing and skull bone exposed where the eyebrows would have been. He had an open wound behind his ear and a deformed neck. In the autopsy, they do not go into any more detail about the deformed neck. They don't talk about why it was deformed or how it possibly got that way or what they even mean by deformed neck. They just left it at deformed neck. He also had a broken nose. And the last to be found was Nikolay Brignols. He was also well insulated. He was found with multiple fractures to the temporal bone. And they concluded that the extensive, depressed, multi-splintered fracture could be compared to being in an accident in an automobile moving at high speed. 
They could not explain what happened to the four found in the den. So their final, the final report from the Soviets was that the group was killed by an unknown compelling force. So now I want to talk about theories and what they believe happened in each theory. The first was an avalanche. They said the group woke up in a panic because an avalanche covered their tent or covered the tent entrance. And because they were scared, they left in a panic, which would explain why they were poorly dressed. They then made their way to the nearby woods. But in the darkness, they got separated, eventually succumbing to the elements and froze to death. The group of four whose bodies were the most damaged were caught in the avalanche and buried under 13 feet of snow. They do not believe an avalanche happened. The location showed no signs that an avalanche had occurred. They could see their footprints. An avalanche would have covered their tent and their footprints. If an avalanche is strong enough to sweep away four bodies, it would have swept away all of the bodies, not just four of them. And one investigator said that the footprints leading away from the tent were inconsistent with a group of nine running in a panic. They were more consistent with a group of individuals walking away at a normal pace. Another theory is catabatic wind, which is a wind that carries high density air from a higher elevation down a slope under the force of gravity. Some catabatic winds can rush down slopes with hurricane speeds. And this type of wind would have made it impossible to remain in the tent. So same thing. They had to get out of the tent because of this wind, went down to the woods for protection, got lost, separated, and uh, the first five froze. And they believed that the other four may have fallen into this ravine. That they didn't dig it, it was already there. And they fell in and hit the rocks at the bottom, which caused their injuries. Another theory is that a Yeti attacked them. The only reason this theory was even brought up is because some of the searchers said they saw large footprints that couldn't have been made by humans. That's not documented, and it could just be hearsay. Another theory, and the one that I feel is the most believable, is military testing. This theory suggests that the hikers campsite was within the path of Soviet parachute mine exercises. And they believe they woke up to loud explosions, fled the tent in a panic, and found themselves unable to return to the tent. Some members froze to death and the others were fatally injured by parachute mine concussions. There are records that parachute mines were being tested in that area during the time the hikers were there. A parachute mine detonates while still in the air, and it causes similar injuries to those experienced by the hikers found in the den. 
Another theory is that the Mansai tribe or another local tribe attacked them. But they don't believe this because the local tribesmen are known to be or were known to be peaceful and there was no evidence of anyone approaching the tent. The footprints they found belonged to the hikers. Wild animals was another theory, but no animal tracks were found anywhere in the snow. And if I'm in a tent and there's wild animals outside my tent, I'm gonna stay in the tent, not run around with the wild animals outside. So those are some of the theories I wanted to go over. There are lots more um, out there. I'm not gonna go into all of them, but this case is still unsolved today and we may never know what really happened to those hikers. Very strange incident. Very interesting and also frustrating because it just leaves you with so many questions. Thank you for listening and don't forget to check back next, next week for another episode about something strange or something wicked.